Thank you, Dick. Um, I just really quick wanted to thank him for all the mentorship that he has shown me through this process. Truly, um, he has been a great mentor being there, whether on text or call. Um, he's just been incredible through this process and has just really encouraged me through it. I'd also like to thank the elders for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate this, uh, this chance to preach God's word. I'm very um, honored to be up here. And I would also like to just thank my Westside family. Um, you guys mean a lot to me. This church has been there for me through so much, been there for my family through a, a, quite a lot of things. So I just, I just wanted to thank you guys. Um, I love you all very much. Before we get into God's word, how about we open in prayer? Um, we can't get enough prayer, so let's go ahead and do that. Dear Lord, I pray that you would be moving here. I pray that through your word, your scripture, Lord, that you would be stirring hearts towards following you, towards devoting more of their life towards you, Lord. I pray that as believers we would recognize our need for you and our need for obedience, Lord. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Will you join me in opening your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16? That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. I'll give you guys a moment to open. All right, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I recently read a story. A California driver's license examiner told about a teenager who had almost driven a perfect test. He made his only mistake, said the examiner, when he stopped to let me out of the car. After breathing a sigh of relief, the boy exclaimed, I'm sure glad I don't have to drive like that all the time. <laughs> this immediately reminded me of times in my life where I felt this exact same way towards my faith, about coming here to church, where I felt like I was professing to live one way, but actually I was living completely opposite. Does this sound like you? I mean, for sure it sounded like me. Sometimes our lives do not reflect the God we proclaim to worship when we walk outside those doors. Are we living a clearly distinguishable Christian life? How do we live obedient to God in all areas of life? I believe this passage answers that. For some historical background of the text, the author is the Apostle Peter. First Peter was most likely written around 62 to 63 AD, around the time Emperor Nero was ruling Rome. He was a heavy persecutor of Christian believers. The purpose of this letter was to exhort believers to trust the grace of God and to stand firm in it. First Peter deals heavily with hope, especially through trial. The text that we're looking at today can be broken up into two exhortations, hope and holiness. Now, what is an exhortation? 
Well, think of an exhortation as encouraging or urging someone to do something. So Peter is encouraging us to hope and to holiness. The first exhortation can be found in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being so reminded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The main command here is to set our hope fully on uh, the grace that will be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But why is Peter exhorting us believers to set our hope fully on grace? And what is the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, like I was told in college, I wouldn't be a good Bible college student if I didn't ask, what is the therefore, therefore? This therefore points us back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. This section tells us, tells us of God's great mercy on believers, that he has caused us to be born again, and that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, guarded in heaven for us. This, therefore, are the reasons for believers to hope. These are the foundations of the command because of these things. The therefore points us to application, motivated by these reasons. So, in other words, because of these things, fix your hope. Hope is the Christian's attitude to the future. Hope is trusting God in what he is yet to do. We can have hope because God has been faithful in the past, is being faithful in the present, and will be faithful to all his promises for the future, including the return of his son. Well, what is the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, that's the return of his son. This is the second coming of Christ. This is when Jesus will return and we as believers will be lavished with his grace. This is where our sinful bodies will be made new. Peter wants believers to set their hope fully on the grace to be brought. Now, you may have noticed that there seems to be two other commands. Well, although these have command like wait, these are actually actions. This verse could have easily been written something like this. Therefore, set your hope fully on grace. But Peter is giving us these actions to help us obey the command. The first action, preparing your minds for action, in the original Greek, this meant to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that sounds funny, but back in the day, this actually meant when some, whenever anybody needed to move faster, they would bind up their long garments in order to allow themselves to move um, when they were going to do work or um, run or anything like that. Think of this like putting on a belt. We are told to fasten the belts of our minds. Let's try to apply this. What does it look like to fasten the belts of our minds? I believe one way we can fasten the belts of our minds is being careful what else we are letting influence our minds. It's so easy sometimes to be focused on what's happening in the now, whether that be school, work, relationships, our bank accounts, our family's health. These are all things we let motivate us. These are all things we focus on. Now, 
These aren't necessarily bad things, but they can cause us to think more about the present than the hope we have for the future. I know that if my mind was fully set on the things of the present, I would be crumbling. As many of you know, my brother is terminally ill. This reality takes up so much of my focus. But my family has found that with our minds set on the hope we have, the easier it is to navigate the situation, although it's so hard. So how do we keep our minds set on hope? Well, this ties great into the next action, being sober-minded. Well, what's the opposite of being sober? Drunk. When you're drunk, you aren't thinking clearly. Your, your brain is dulled. You, 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 um, you have less control over your actions. We must not be drunk. Not be drunk in mind. We must be focused on what God has for us. You know what impacts our judgment? Our sin. Sin corrupts our motives. Our judgment, it distracts, it lies, and it twists what is good. When you give sin a foothold on your life, expect it to change your focus. This is why we must repent of our sins. Repent literally means to fix our minds on, or to change our minds towards godliness, to turn from One area I've found in my life that causes me to focus more on worldly desires are the shows, movies, videos, or political voices I'm watching. These oftentimes can corrupt my focus. I have to be careful what I watch or listen to. Do you guys know what doom scrolling is? It kind of sounds depressing just in the title. That's because it is depressing. It refers to excessively scrolling through bad news on social media. I do this all the time. And sometimes an hour can go by and I just, couldn't I have spent that hour doing something else, something better? We have to be careful what we are letting control our minds. We must live in self-control, putting off old habits in order to set our hope fully. I love these analogies for controlling the mind because our mind is what so often gets us in trouble. Peter knows that if we can control our minds, we can get our focus right. But what should our focus be on? The hope we have because of God's grace upon us, especially the future grace we will receive. We can't get our focus right on our own. We must rely on God. We must look to him. We must live in anticipation of this future grace with hope now in the present. When I think about living in anticipation of Christ's coming, I'm reminded of World War II paratroopers getting ready to fly over Normandy um, or over the English Canal into Normandy. Before the invasion had begun, these men had to be geared up ready to get into the transport planes. They patiently waited for orders from command. Finally, these men were told that the invasion had begun 
and that they were to load up. Now, what if these men had thought, we don't have to be ready for when the commanding officer returns with orders. We don't have to be geared up. We can just sit around. They would have been called foolish. They would have been called unprepared. We, too, must have our mental focus right. These men had their mental focus right. These men were ready to go. Just like those men, we must have our mental focus right. We must be ready for our Lord and Savior to return. We must be living self-controlled lives and having our hope fixed fully on the grace to be brought. Believers living in anticipation of the return of Christ and considering its full significance will be motivated to live in holiness. Now, let's take a look at the second exhortation found in verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The second exhortation is to live a life of holiness. Well, let's define holiness. Holiness is to be set apart unto the Lord. If you are a believer, your relationship with Christ should cause you to live differently. Peter opens this section by addressing believers as obedient children. This is because true believers are born again. First Peter 1.3 He has caused us to be born again. Born again believers are set apart. And it's actually a characteristic of being a true believer to be obedient to God. Obedience is a characteristic of believers. We are obedient children now, not sons of disobedience, which is what non-believers are called. The basic character of a non-believer is disobedience to God. Although believers are children of obedience, we still have disobedient patterns of sin. This is because we are still waiting for the future grace to be revealed, or at the return of Christ, we will be made new. Because believers are children of obedience, we have been called to holiness no longer being conformed to our old passions and lifestyle. We must, or sorry. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But what are these passions of our former ignorance? Well, To give you some examples, this would be wanting something that is sinful in God's eyes. The word passions can literally be translated to desire, craving, longing, or lust. Let's personalize this. Where in your life are you desiring something that God calls sinful? It could be sexual desires. It could be greed. It would be selfishness towards those around you. We must identify these areas of our life in which we live in disobedience. We must no longer be conformed to our former ignorance because we no longer live in ignorance. 
We are children of God. These desires we once had were not based on the truth of the grace God has given us. So, what do we do with these former ignorances? Well, on our own, we can't do anything. Self-effort will get us nowhere. I want to make it very clear that holiness cannot be found outside a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's look back at verse 13. Where are we told to set our hope? Grace. Whose grace? God's grace. The same grace that God gave us by sending His Son to die on the cross for us. To pay for our sins. Without the grace of God, we would be hopeless. With a mind set on the hope of the grace we have, present and future, it should motivate us to live in obedience. Well, why are we being called, or why, why should we respond with holiness as believers? Because of the hope we have. This hope is Jesus. What he has done and will do. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3, 3. But why are, pe- or why are we being called to a standard of holiness as believers? Because God who calls us is the very definition of holiness. He is the Holy One. Peter says, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He is pointing us back to the Old Testament scriptures, just as the Israelites were called to be holy and set apart from other nations. Leviticus 19.2, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We as believers are to be holy, set apart in our conduct in the world. If a non-believer looks at your life, they should be able to tell that you are a child of God. Peter is calling us to holiness in all of our conduct because God is holy. Think of it like this. We are now born again children of God. We bear his name. We represent him as his children. We are to be holy in all our conduct because the one whose name we represent is holy. I'll give you an example. I'm a son. I have my mother and father's last name. When I leave home and am around others, I'm still a schwander. And my actions towards others outside when I leave home can either positively or negatively represent my family. As a good son, I wouldn't want to do anything that would make my family look bad. We must have a similar thought to our actions as believers. When we become children of God, we represent him in all that we do in the world. Honestly, it breaks my heart to hear non-believers' opinions of Christians due to other Christians not representing the family of God well. While I was at Bible college, I was a part of an outreach team the evangelism outreach team. 
we had a really cool opportunity to go out to various places, whether that was Astoria, Seaside, Cannon Beach, and just share the gospel with people. The majority of the non-believers we came across had some, already had some interaction with Christianity. Most of the time it wasn't a positive one. And this was due to professing believers not representing the family of God well. As believers, we bear our God's name. If we are to represent him well, we need holiness. We need to be obedient to our God. So, what's the big idea? Hope-filled holiness. How do we live obedient to God in all areas of life? Because of the hope we have, it should motivate us to be holy. To close, the point of this message is not to increase head knowledge. I don't want us to leave here thinking, we got our Bible fixed and just go back to living the same old, same old. I want us to be aware of what our mind is focused on. The sinful desires that we have. I really want to encourage you to let the hope you have motivate you to live a holy life. We can't be like the boy on his driver's test, only driving well because the DMV tester is watching. When we walk outside those doors and around others, remember, they are watching. They are being influenced by your example as a child of God. We must live in obedience. One way of doing this would be seeking accountability. Maybe that's with a trusted friend mentor, or a safe group like your life group. I encourage you to start by reminding each other of the hope and the grace that we have. Celebrate that grace. Celebrate that hope. And then confess your sins as you are motivated by His grace. As I've been studying this passage and going on with my life, I've personally been impacted by this calling to be holy in all my conduct. It's been convicting. I often find myself saying in my head, I didn't represent Christ well there. And this isn't in a legalistic way, but I I just remind myself, I wasn't living obediently there. But I find that the more I focus on the hope that I have, the more I desire to live a holy life. Genuine hope results in holiness. Our hope as believers is in Jesus. Our mind should be set on Him and His return. And He will return. We need to walk outside those doors in obedience with hope-filled holiness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just come before you and recognize how good you are. That you have given us so much to be thankful for. That you have sent your Son to die on the cross for us. 
Lord, I am so glad that we have that. I'm so glad that we have a relationship with your son. Lord, I pray that we would let that hope motivate us to live a holy life. As others are watching, as others will see, they will see you represented in what we are doing, Lord. I pray that others would be motivated to come and see how good you are because of our example. I pray that we would fix our hope fully on you with hope-filled holiness. In your Son's name, amen.